Welcome back to Presidential Profiles. This is our fourth episode on Ulysses Grant, and it will be our final episode. Uh, for Grant. For Grant, right. <laughs> exactly. And this uh, is Robert, and we'll be talking about, we're going to begin right off with uh, Grant's run for presidency in 68, right? Right. All right. Thank you, Philip. Um, to review a little bit. Uh, in 1865, after President Lincoln's assassination, uh, a Tennessee racist by the name of Andrew Johnson, who had been brought into the ticket as a, uh, a bipartisan nod to the Democrats on the Union ticket, uh, became vice president. Uh, due to the unforeseen assassination of Lincoln, he became president. He engaged in numerous legal and legislative battles with the uh, holdover members of the Lincoln administration, uh, particularly with Edward Stanton, the secretary, Edwin Stanton, Secretary of War, uh, Congress uh, to protect the uh, holdovers, passed the Tenure of Office Act, uh, in direct violation of the Tenure of Office Act, uh, Johnson fired Stanton. This led to Johnson's impeachment, um, leading to uh, continuation of the divisive political, poisonously po uh, divisive political atmosphere of the 1850s, now into the 1860s. Grant the preeminent soldier, the apolitical figure, the man with no past, uh, appealed to the Republicans as the potential unifier of their party and of the country uh, due to the uh, beginnings of the Redemptorist movement, the white supremacist movement in the South, <coughs> which after uh, Reconstruction would result in Jim Crow laws, uh, which was uh, militantly uh, opposed by General Sheridan and other U.S. Army military commanders in the uh, uh, military districts comprising the secession, uh, Grant arose as the best uh, political leader. Uh, the Democrats nominated uh, Horace Greeley, a uh, New York uh, newspaper publisher who was extremely erratic uh, in his political views, eccentric in his personal conduct. Wealthy? I don't think so. Okay. And uh, Grant was handily elected as the uh, former uh, veterans, or the veterans rather, of the uh, Union Army flocked to him. Did. Uh, throughout the North and elected him president, and uh, they formed the Grand Army of the Republic, which became a, a very potent <coughs> political force in the Republican Party and in post-Civil War politics. Okay. Um, so let's just ask a couple questions about that. Grant won the primary, Republican primary. Did he have any challenges? They didn't have primaries. Oh, there was no primaries. Okay. They just, they just basically, the you know, the leaders met in this infamous smoke-filled rooms. Mm -hmm. And said, you know, you're our guy. All right. And Grant uh, accepted the nomination. How did his wife feel about it? She was happy. She was a climber. She was a climber. She was a social climber. She, you know, she viewed this as the logical and uh, fitting 
uh, reward for her husband's military service. So it wasn't a big step to see a general of grand stature go into the Oval Office. So Washington was a, a military commander during the Revolution, Supreme Military Commander during the Revolution. Uh, Jackson was a military, <coughs> I'll say general, I mean, he was he was commissioned, but I believe it was by Tennessee, not by the U.S. Army, but, you know, he had a military background, he fought in the Battle of New Orleans, was a military hero. Um, Taylor was a general, successful general in the Mexican War. Uh, Pierce was a general in the Mexican War. So uh, Harrison, uh, William Henry Harrison, uh, good old Tippy Canoe, was a military hero. So it was not a, an unprecedented thing in American history to see one of our leading generals elected president. Were, were Grant's parents dead by this time? Uh, Jesse Grant was alive and would cause Grant considerable uh, embarrassment as president. And Julia Dent's father whom they referred to as Colonel Dent, was alive and took up residence in the White House and also caused Grant considerable embarrassment oh, explain a little as bit president. About that. So um, Jesse Grant was still the wheeler dealer, still trying to advance himself, still trying to use his son's prominence to advance himself uh, in business and in local politics uh, in, in Illinois and uh, just made promises that he, he couldn't deliver on, you know, my son's the president, I'll get you blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the president would say, uh, I really can't do that. <laughs> you know, but it never stopped uh, Jesse Grant from uh, from utilizing and, that connection. And Jesse stayed in Ohio the whole time? Uh, was, Illinois. Oh, I mean, Illinois, right. Yeah. Initially, he was in Ohio, I think. And then uh, Colonel Dent moved into the White House, Southern plantocrat, plantocrat, you know, plantation owner, former slaveholder, and made comments about people as they came into the White House. And mostly derogatory, sarcastic type comments. And what about, what was, um, you were talking a little bit about the last episode, um, Grant's connection, I don't know if it was a friendship, but connection to Sheridan what did that continue uh, going up, leading up into his election? They were uh, at a distance. I mean, the French were in Mexico. The, the French uh, founded an empire in Mexico, and Sheridan was, in addition to being military governor, he was also in charge of the force, which we were using to intimidate the French into abandoning Mexico. So Sheridan was uh, extremely busy with his duties in the Southwest. But uh, since that was the biggest thing going on for the Army, I mean, Grant, as General-in-Chief, was extremely interested in it and was in close communication with Sheridan. But as I, as I mentioned before, um, Sheridan was a protege of Grant's. He took great interest in his career. He mentored him. And he apparently liked the man so um all right so going into the first term that first let me ask about the election the grant first of all there was more population in the north than the south right so if it split along those lines Greeley gets a lot of votes in the south 
Grant gets a lot of votes in the North. Grant should be able to win handily. But did Greeley take New York? And well, what was Greeley, the electoral college? Greeley was an amazingly weak candidate. He really didn't have any kind of a following or appeal in the South. Oh, okay. And outside of the city of New York, <coughs> he didn't have a great deal of appeal in New York State. Okay. And his, you know, back then there were seven or eight daily newspapers in New York City. So even in New York City, you know, the Tribune readers might like Greeley, but the people who read The Sun, The Herald, The Times, you know, all the other uh, papers that were being published in New York, The Post, uh, The News, all the other papers that were being published in New York City at that time probably didn't think very highly of Greeley. Did Greeley get walloped? Yeah. Popular yeah. and electoral? Yeah. Did he win any states? Um, I have to, I have to look up the top of my head. I would say not. And we have to recall that the, the southern states' votes were basically African-Americans who would have been repelled by Greeley's racial views, which were published and known. So... Uh, he was, he was just he 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 wouldn't have been popular with the with, so the, Grant, with the Democrats. Strange that they would uh, nominate him. So Grant um, comes in basically. Then uh, well, they needed somebody who wasn't a copperhead. They 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 needed somebody who could completely separate the Democrats from the copperhead movement. So Greeley was was loyal. You know, he was a staunch unionist throughout the Civil War. Copperhead is someone that's... Uh, Copperheads were the Democrats who were in favor of letting the South secede. Oh, okay. So, um, Grant comes in on a high tide, basically. Yes. And tell me, tell us, uh, the listeners and everybody, about how, how his first term goes. So, I, I would say the first term uh, went well. <coughs> Grant was popular. He was a hard money guy. Um, the government had enormous debts. Uh, held over from the Civil War. Grant demanded as president that those debts be paid back in hard money and gold. Okay. So the people who had loaned money uh, to the government to fight the Civil War were really happy. I mean, their, yeah. their currency, their, their investment in their government was not uh, devalued by using an inflated currency. Right. I mean, they got paid fair value gold, right. for the loans that they had, had given to the government. Yeah. That's so the widows, you know, I mean, you always, you know, uh, have the stereotype of the widow sending in her, her money for a bond so that, you know, her son, her son-in-law can, can continue fighting and be sure. fed and so on. Of course, it also helped the bankers who were capitalizing for the expansion of railroads, the expansion of steel, you know, the industrial expansion of the United States. I mean, they were being repaid in hard currency. I mean, it seems like not, a, a stabilizing uh, factor. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And then Grant was very strong on civil rights. Okay. I mean, he demanded that the African Americans who had been granted citizenship under the 13th Amendment be granted full citizenship. So, Thirteenth Amendment again is what was uh, emancipation, emancipation, and uh, conferring citizenship. Okay. On the on the former slaves. Okay. So 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 Grant wasn't having anything about them not, you know, them not having full civil rights. And what did the motivation for this come from for Grant? Well, he he was basically a decent man, mm -hmm. and uh, his wife, his mother were um, devout Methodists. 
you know, and people will say, well, you know, Methodists weren't great on this, but in his family, they were. Okay. And uh, his wife, you know, I mean, she enjoyed the, the benefits of slavery, mm-hmm. but she was morally strong enough to say this isn't right and we have to we have to did accept have, emancipation did she have a, a let's call it aesthetic distaste for it or no i i think if she had been a poor woman and you know saw the plantation going all to seed because the slaves weren't there she probably would have thought oh this is bad but because she was in washington she was the general in chief's wife she's now the president's wife this is the policy this is the policy to put them in power I mean, she was she was pretty much you know there was, in, in favor of her own self interest. There was something that you said in the first episode um, about Grant as a leader and as somebody that functions well in high like executive positions. That that was what he really was good at. Whereas if he was in a kind of middle class job or a middle level job, he was kind of middling. Right and. But once he got above the fray, he, he was somehow able to execute his things well. What what was his mindset, do you think, uh, after becoming president? What was his mindset about, I mean, did he feel overwhelmed by the position? Was he overwhelmed having been the general, chief general? What was it, chief general he was or something? Mm-hmm. What, what was his, did he feel like, wow, I never expected this to happen? Or did he feel like, well, this is my just desserts? Did he feel a, a special sense of civic responsibility? Like, I really have to just organize and execute for the sake of people? Was he thinking about his own legacy? So, um, the officer corps of West Point graduates is often compared to a priesthood. Okay. Um, the duty honor, country, mm-hmm. code of conduct and 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 performance is is deeply ingrained in them. Mm-hmm. Grant embodied that. Mm-hmm. You know, my duty is to fulfill the offices that are entrusted to me by my chain of command. Uh, it's incumbent on my honor to perform them in the best manner humanly possible, to push myself to the absolute limit, to death, if if necessary, <coughs> if, I'm, you know, if I'm killed, mm-hmm. leading an assault, a combat assault, or, or defending a position in combat, mm-hmm. so be it. And then the highest duty was to the, was to the country, so to he, the army, so to he, serve that country. So he was doing it, his main motivation was a sense of honor. And duty, whereas it was so, it wasn't self-aggrandizement. And and was his what about the enormity of the task or the level of status that he had attained? He, did he think about it? Did he like the did he uh, the accoutrements of wealth? What were his? All right. So 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 Grant has a, a, a pretty complex nature, and there's, there's almost a dualism going with the aesthetic, devout. Uh, mother, right. you know, which probably informed the duty, honor, countryside, yeah. and then the po- politicking, grabbing, avaricious father, yeah. who, you know, made Grant open to making political deals. Skilled businessman. Grant right? Grant accepted mansions okay. from political donors. Okay. You know, he accepted cash gifts so he could pay the tuition 
of his kids' uh, schools. Where did his kids go to school? Private uh, school? Somewhere, somewhere in New Jersey. A good private school? Yeah, a good private school. Okay. Uh, he had a, you know, he went on vacation on the Jersey Shore, which back then was, you know, some big hoity-toity thing. And, you know, they had no money, you know, but here they had a private train that drove him out to Asbury or, wow. or to uh, Elber, actually it's Elberon. And, uh, you know, they had a, a beachfront house, you know, they stepped off the porch, they're on the a beach. Chris Christie accident. You know, uh, no, back then Elberon was a, was a wealthy resort. No, as far as Chris Christie with his recent vacation. And nobody, nobody would have needed to close it. It was just, you know, it was just accepted if you, you know, had the status, you got to go there. Okay. If you didn't have the status, you know, there were no shoebies on, on that part of the Jersey Shore. Okay. And did so he enjoyed the that part. Um, was obviously his wife seems like she did as well. What what about his? Um, did he feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the task? No. Uh, first of all, the government wasn't that big then. Second of all, things were more personal. I mean, there were maybe four hundred major actors in business. A uh, similar number in the government. But his father wasn't a first tier businessman. No. No. And did, did Grant, in personal conversation and conduct, after he had attained this status, or as he was attaining this status, let's say, and then as after he became president, was he still quiet? Was he reserved? Was he gregarious, friendly, tough-minded? He was, he was pretty quiet, you know, all the way through. Um, it, this is one of the things that makes it so difficult, you know, when you try to track... Uh, some of the scandals. How how involved was he? Because he didn't talk to anybody. He didn't write a lot of personal correspondence. Did he keep Rollins around? Uh, Rollins was getting sicker and sicker. And Rollins and Parker, who was his other big aide, Parker was an Indian. They pushed Parker out in a racist coup, and you know, can't have an Indian, you know, non-white, in such a high position. Mm-hmm. And Rollins got sick, so uh, essentially. Other other people came in, which also added to the opportunity for rascality. Well, did he have um, other aides that were working that he late learned to depend on later on? Yeah, and they were they weren't as devoted to him. They didn't have the same high moral character. Some of them actually despised him. Felt that you know it was a complete error. Uh, you know, they thought he was sloppy. They thought he'd let too many gay guys get killed in the war. They thought he didn't pay attention to the to the business the way he should. Uh, racism was always in the background. You know, Grant was was very pro civil rights. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought you know white people should always be on top. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't let uh, these Afri- African they didn't think African Americans back then, but uh, they used to terminology colored people uh but we can't let you know colored people people whom we now term african-americans we can't let them be you know in government so oh go ahead so during the first term you know with the repayment of the civil war debt and hard money with the uh patriotic ardor that was still to a high degree prevalent uh the, the northern constituency was willing to support pretty serious uh, re, uh, reconstruction. Yeah. 
you know, like let's let's you know let's get the black people educated. Let's get them uh, set up so they can support themselves. Let's uh, have a free country where everybody is equal. Yeah. And you know there was just kind of an effusive, ebullient mood, and everybody thought you know we can do whatever we're, whatever right. we can. Oftentimes do. after a victory in war, there's an kind of effusive, right. ebullient. Mood. And as Reconstruction progressed, the country's natural racism started asserting itself more. The Redemptors movement in the South uh, began intimidating African-American political officials, uh, intimidating African-American voters, burning churches, assassinating people, uh, lynching started. Was Grant aware? Was he involved? And, and they, they fought back hard against it. I mean, they had a statute passed. The attorney general in the first administration took strong action to investigate lynchings and other assaults on African Americans. Not just not just the officials, but regular people as well. But the North more or less lost stomach for it. You know, the, I mean, I, I guess you know the idea that African Americans were actually going to be equal to whites, um, that this is never ending. That, that you can't totally, you can't totally uh, take out the inner kind of racial tensions or feelings that exist, right? And are so ingrained in the southern and, culture. And you know, so many Southerners were complaining about <coughs> Negroes running wild, you know, raping white women, you know, uh, miscegenation would just become rampant. You know, just <coughs> very, very ugly period. In, in America. Does this continue through to second <clears throat> two? So, well, this started more towards the second half of the first term. All right. The Republicans didn't do as well in the off-year election as right. parties typically don't. <clears throat> Democrats back then were the party of white supremacy. Right. And, you know, explicitly. Right. Um, so that, you know... Republicans start realizing, you know, and, and even even the loyal Republican voters were like, well, you know, we didn't fight necessarily to free the blacks. We're glad that happened. But we fought to keep, but the, we union. Fought to keep the union. And the union is becoming disunited because the Southerners, and, you know, in the Northern mind, the Southerner is the white Southerner, right. are not reconciled to us. So... So we have to reconcile ourselves to the to the southerners. So they backed off on on the so so they 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 so so in the second half of the second term they started backing off way big. Second half of the first term. Second, thank you. Second half of the first term. But Grant wasn't going in line with it exactly. Um, his political instincts were aroused, and he he wanted to continue, but he also was getting more concerned about the financial condition. Did he do an infrastructure plan after the Civil War? Um, no, okay. because uh, the infrastructure. Uh, I mean, you think you think of the of the subways in New York. I mean, the IRT, the BMT, they were all uh, uh, privately financed. Yeah, and oh, it was developed. all privately yeah. financed back then. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Grant was getting more and more concerned about maintaining a sound money policy because the economy was growing. Mm-hmm. And but it needed to be the, stable and not have inflation. Well, the limitation of sound money is the currency is based on gold. Right. 
and there's only so much gold. Right. So, you know, say you set the the currency at thirty two ounces thirty two dollars per ounce. Right. So however many ounces of gold you have is how much currency you can have. Sure. You can have. So, you know, with the economy expanding, bigger population, more economic activity, and only so many dollars, they actually faced uh, deflation. Right, okay. Which is, which is economically disastrous. The money actually grows in value. All you have to do is hold on to the money and you're gaining money. Right. And meanwhile, you have to produce more and more and more and more and more and more goods in order to, to make the same amount of money. Right. Okay. So, so, you know, Grant, I mean, we don't know how to deal with it now. Deflation. What about trade? And uh, we're we're talking at a time where there were imperial systems in place. That prohibited so, a lot. So of trade. foreign trade was was pretty much out of the question. Maybe with China, but even then it was <coughs> maybe agricultural commodities. All right. So go ahead, go ahead and tell me tell me and the re- and the listeners about second term. What happens? Then? So second term, Grant essentially is stymied by the ongoing violence. By the redemptorists, the white racists, white supremacists. Does he win re-election easily? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, he was the first president to win re-election since Jackson. Really? So, and is he, his approval rating still high? And live. I mean, Lincoln got re-elected, but he got killed. Was his approval rating um, Sufficient. I mean, because they were talking about him running for the third term. Uh, so he was sufficiently high. And, and they had control of Congress. Now... The southern states were still out of the union, so the the key area of the of the Democrats was was just coming back into the union. So that diminished the Republican dominance because now you know what had previously been an all pretty much all Republican republic was now becoming a, a Republican and Democratic. So so the, the the Democrats took over the House, and they you know of course the House controls taxation. Um, he was having, like I said, an increasing economic difficulty. And whites were more and more looking at reuniting North and South whites. So, you know, the thing was suppress the blacks. You know, because if whites in the North can help whites in the South get back to their antebellum status, that's a unifying thing, you know. We fought the Civil War. We kept the Union together. Now we're back to being brothers. But they don't want antebellum in the sense they don't want to reinstate slavery. Well, they did. I mean, Jim Crow is essentially sharecropping the 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 the, the, the reinstitution of, of African American slavery. I mean, it was a like chattel slavery, but they were kept in in you know in bondage through through debt and in a, in a deflationary period uh, where you have to undertake debt to live through the planting season mm-hmm. and the winter. Uh, you know, you borrow $50 in, in one year. Uh, the currency deflates. So the amount of cotton that you have to grow or the amount goes of produce that you have to grow goes up. By, yeah, goes up. Plus the interest. So, and, and plus the interest. And, you know, I mean, your farm didn't get any bigger. Right. All right. So, right. And that was a, you're saying that the North was actually complicit in allowing Jim Crow. Absolutely. And this was all happening under Grant? This was beginning. This was beginning. Grant was resisting. I mean, it was. But he wasn't effective at resisting. uh, He was decreasingly effective because he was losing political support. The the, The House. 
the 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 house was gone. The business leaders were viewing him with less prestige, uh, prestige because I mean they they weren't dealing with deflation either. But Grant hadn't figured it out, and 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 Grant kept unloading gold onto the market. I mean, every time they tried to inflate the currency, Grant would order uh, a major unloading of gold and push the currency back down. So that helped the bankers. But that hurt the industrialists who needed more who needed more money. I mean, they just needed a bigger supply of money. Hurt the farmers to, to, to no end. You know, black and white, north and south. So why, and why was Grant doing that? Because he believed in sound money. I mean he thought he didn't you know, he wanted the money to be worth something. He he was afraid of inflation. And I, I think he just thought, you know, money is is promissory. And you keep your promise. Right. You know, if you promise somebody $5, you give them $5. Did his political difficulties and did the him losing his, like, let's say political traction to some degree or the country kind of, let's say, reacting, because that's what it seems like Jim Crow is a kind of reaction, uh, did that affect him uh, psychologically in any way? Well, again, his his psychology is always difficult to to read, but I think he probably felt some resentment uh, over the idea that he was fulfilling the promises of the Lincoln administration, the policies he felt that he was doing that yeah so because he was such a big let's say homer for lincoln he one of his visions going into office was fulfill the promise that lincoln the promises that well, the vision that lincoln had set citizenship for blacks was one of his political priorities right uh it was good on a partisan level because like i've mentioned several times <coughs> the blacks were the a republicans in the south yeah um but I think, you know, he just thought it was, a, a, you know, the right thing to do. And then in the same way, uh, the agrarian movement, the populist movement was growing and the resentment against the hard money, uh, sound money policies was growing all over the place. You know, I mean, bankers essentially were the only ones who were supporting sound money by then. And, and Grant, um, what, did he view his presidency as a success by the end of it? Yeah, yeah, I, th I, I think he felt like, uh, because Washington only served two terms. Right. So there was a long-standing precedent that you served, two uh, terms. you served two terms. I mean, you could not break Washington's precedent for serving a third sure. term. So, uh, but he had some setbacks. I mean, he had the scandals. I mean, people who replaced Rollins and Parker were not honest. What kind of scandals did he have? Peculation. You know, people using their positions in the White House for contract rigging is it and kickbacks. Is it because he was a, a basically a non-political person, came in and he just brought in, like, let's say, um, old style or already, like, he basically didn't have a team to bring in, and so he the, just brought in people that were already corrupt the, and had been around a while? The ethos of the time was, if you're in political office... And you can make some money on it. It's it's why you're here. Okay. You know, Grant had a strong ethic, but 
you know, that wasn't shared. I mean, Webster was on retainer for like railroads and these big law firms. Um, Who? Webster? Who's Webster? Daniel Webster. Oh, Daniel. He's that, he's this era? Well, he was before, you know, like 20 years before. But I mean, Roscoe Conklin, you know, the famous New York politician who discriminated uh, between honest graft and dishonest graft right. was one of Grant's key political uh, operatives. Okay. You know, so I mean, it was it was pretty much accepted. You know, like if if I'm in a position of power, and you know we need a street paving contract, and I have a friend who has a street paving business, he's going to get the contract, and you know if it happens that few dollars end up on my desk how did he Grant, visits me that's perfectly how did, how all right how did Grant um, was he personally offended did he feel that his uh, his job was at stake when the scandals broke out as, as far as we can tell <coughs> Grant accepted these these things I mean you know they had to limit the personal damage he felt a little bit probably a little bit cheated because you know, maybe he wasn't included. Maybe it exposed him to political danger, out of proportion to uh, what happened. Uh, it certainly damaged him with people he respected. You know, good government types who believed in in honest government. Was he? I think the redeemers took it to an extreme to vilify vilify him. You know, Was and 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 weaken the. Uh, Reconstructionist movement, civil yeah. rights movement in the north was that used against him in order to push against Reconstruction? Yeah, that was used as a pretext. Yeah, I mean the scallywags and, and the carpetbaggers. I mean they're all corrupt, you know. And the biggest corrupt one is that Union general we got up there in Washington. Okay, and did Grant um, did he have a close relationship with people in his administration, or was he kind of seen as aloof? Uh, both, but he liked he liked hanging out with millionaires. So, you know, most of his friendships, most of his social things by then were with millionaires, with some of the people who he had uh, met on his rise, but more with, with, with big millionaires. And he had gained the weight. Uh, yeah, you know, he went to middle age and started putting on weight. And he kept his beard. And he kept the beard, and he pretty much, I think, kept his hair color. And did he have any, no, was he faithful to his wife? Yes, and she was faithful to him. And was he affectionate with his kids? Yeah, he, he was considered a very good father. I mean, one of the one of the kids, Junior, had some problems, but most of them had normal lives. All right. So, and did he get wealthy? No. Okay. So and tell in about fact, post presidency. In fact, he uh, in, he somehow or another, you know, uh, well, basically invested his life savings in some kind of a scam, which one of his wealthy friends up in New York figured out for him, and they lost all his money for him. This was so, post-presidency or during? So, well, as he left the presidency, he lost all his money. So he was like leaving the presidency, and he had invested with this New York uh, investor, let's say, or businessman, expecting that this was going to be his kind of... Uh, fortune. Fortune, his egg. Um, his nest egg. Nest yeah. egg. And it went upside down. He lost all his money. So he was basically... He was basically, you know... Doing speaking tours, you know, traveling around, writing articles and stuff like that. But 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 living really hand to mouth, basically living on borrowed money. 
Was he living on his connections? Yeah. Living on yeah, the bankers? You know, I mean, well, I mean, they kept giving him money. <clears throat> and in, uh, let's see, he left office 69 to 77. So he left office in 77. So again, you know, in the next election cycle in 82, they started talking about him running for president again. So he still had some potency. So people still were willing to... But he was pretty much out of the front of his money. No, he no, he was uh, he was he he traveled the world. He wrote newspaper articles. And who was his? Did he have a successor coming? Uh, uh, another union officer, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Okay, let's not talk about Hayes. And and what year does he die? Oh, I have to look. Let me look. I'll look for. All right. Uh, how? Look, give me a rough estimate. How many years he lives out of the presidency? Uh, I'll tell you right now. You don't have to. Maybe know. 12, 13 years. And what? The, and. Does he eventually go broke? Eighty-five, no, he, he does. He 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 was penniless. So he, was, he, he, was, he only lives eight years after yeah, the presidency. He was penniless. He was indebted. He got cancer. He went to Saratoga Springs, New York, and he wrote his memoirs. And the sales of the memoirs saved the family, paid off the debt, saved the family fortune, saved his wife from uh, restored the family bit. fortune. Well, yeah, or save what was left. Well, paid off the debts mm-hmm. and set up a fund so his wife could, could live in, you know, genteel uh, conditions, circumstances until her death. And um, was he considered, I mean, was he bitter at the end? Not that we know. Not that we know. And, and you know, the tone of the book was very uh, courageous in a stoical kind of way, you know, like... Uh, if you think of the Roman philosopher Seneca's work, mm-hmm. you know, Grant kind of lived up to the uh, ideals that Seneca postulated. He had a real sense of, it seems like throughout his life he had, well, maybe minus his his days of hobnobbing with the wealthy as president, but it seems like he had, well, maybe that is included, he had a real sense of um, chivalry. He did. Not, not chivalry, but more of a sense of decency, you know, the... The, the idea, you know, the common man has his foibles, certainly uh, is interested in creature comforts and uh, financial <coughs> advancement, but that there's this idea of civic duty, of, of uh, obligation to society to repay uh, military service has a very high and uh, important, uh, um, high and important, uh, position in in a man's life and in society uh, that the that, that politicians basically should serve the country. Did he consider himself a a military man more than a politician? That's a good question. Um, I, I I think again, you know, this is one of these reasons why we might compare the West Point trained officer corps to a priesthood. Because even when they move to civil administration the way that Grant did, they're looking at the common wheel. You know, they're trying to make things better for the whole country, not just for the military. Okay, and what is, so let's, if there's anything else you want to say about his death or the way, you know, he has the big tomb on the Upper West Side, you can talk about that. But the last thing that I want to touch on before we end the segment on Grant is his legacy in 
his legacy in presidential annals and w- whether you feel that it matches and where it's where it's you would think that it might need some correction i mean i've 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 taught reconstruction at the college level and i'm always surprised at the the the, the stereotype of the scallywag and carpetbagger persists to the extent that it does that can you explain just a short so so the scallywag was the southerner who said after the civil war we're back united i'm going to cooperate with the northern uh military administration and with the southern elected officials including the black ones and the carpetbagger is the northern administrator northern civil administrator teacher minister businessman who came south they're they're still viewed by most students as 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 corrupt individuals who are just just pettifogging spec, speculating you know just just there to uh, manipulate the blacks and use the manipulation of the blacks to enrich themselves from the public treasury that persists the idea, and we, and we saw this with these taking down these Confederate statues, the, 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 the secessionist leaders, and this is why I've used the word secessionist consistently through this and not Confederate. The secessionist leaders, these, these, these men who took oaths of lifetime loyalty to the United States, who at the hour of deepest need turned their backs and led armies against the government's against the government who they had taken oaths of loyalty to, you know, that they were enshrined in these statues. I mean, this is a major revision of history as it happened. You know, Grant's reputation is has suffered the same sort of, of attacks. That instead of being seen as a man who carried out the uh, the great idealistic impetus of the Civil War, that all men are created equal, you know, said in the, the Declaration of Independence, government for the people, by the people, of the people, yeah. that race doesn't make you a good person or a bad person, mm-hmm. that your character, your education, your fidelity to duty are the things that are important. All these things were overturned after Reconstruction, and Grant's Grant's reputation suffered with that. So now, please, hail to the chief. All right, wait, no, we're, we're, there's, I would say, I just want to, all right, and so when those things went away and the racism revived, Grant's reputation went down. Correct. Um, can we just, I just wanted to say one more thing, two more things. Do you want to say anything about his tomb on the, on the other side? Well, I mostly look at it from New Jersey, yeah. and it's a very impressive imposing structure you know you look at it from across the Hudson River and do you have any did you I have a picture of my granddaughter and my grandson posed in front of it you know with the Hudson behind him you know great picture were you um, aware of his friendship with Mark Twain no okay alright just as far as I know that Mark Twain may have been behind his um, his idea the idea for him to do the memoirs yeah it could be because he admired grant and he yeah. knew that grant had got a bad investment and was i guess had gotten sick right yeah well he had cancer and cancer back then was almost always terminal 
right. So you're you're saying that the that the thing that we could take from Grant, one of the things we could take from Grant is is a adherence, fidelity to the ideals of of the principles that the country was founded upon. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, even even with the so-called corruption, you know, I mean, it's corrupt by our standards, but it was pretty average, pretty normal, given the ethos of the time. All right. Well, thank you for that. And Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right. That'll be the end of our segment with Grant, and we'll be coming back for another uh, segment on another president. We'll update We're going to compare Johnson and Nixon on their treatment of the, of the Vietnam uh, War. Yeah, that the, might the, be. The two different, uh, two very different men, two men with a dramatically, both dramatically gifted in government and politics, but with entirely different gifts, and we'll be... Uh, looking at how they handled the supreme challenge of their terms, which is the war in Vietnam. All right, thanks again for listening. This is Presidential Profiles.